Well, Happy New Year. It's good to see you here. Those of you who got up for the New Year. Some of you had a rough holiday, I guess. Couldn't get up this morning. Want to also let you know that we have some bags in the back that are gift bags that you can give to the homeless. If you want to take those, you can. And then when you see someone who is in need, uh, you can give that to them, pull over, give that to them, and maybe find out their name, pray for them, and just engage that with them. Um, but there's the bags. What are in the bags, Denise? Scarves and grooming kits. So great opportunity for you to kind of help those, especially as it's cold and you see the people around want to just keep in mind those things. Um, well, hopefully you guys had a great holiday, Christmas and New Year. And it's good to again have you here with us. I want to remind you so that you can keep in prayer that um, in About two weeks, not quite two weeks, about 10 days actually. I'm going to be leaving and going to La Paz and to Vizcaino to do uh, two conferences down there for the pastors in both those areas. And so I appreciate the prayer for that. Also keep in uh, mind and in prayer, we are trying to do something else in March down in La Paz uh, for the community that's starting up there. Uh, Dave Arcos, the one of the Artisan pastors over at Mosaic in LA is going to go down there and do a little seminar. And so that's something I'm excited about. And if you are interested in being a part of any of those things, again, go to the back table, the next step table, and you can sign up and let Mary know. And we can give you the information of what it would take if you want to be involved with any of the things that we are doing. But anyway... This morning we are beginning a new series. It's a new year. Let's start a new series. And it's called Complete. And we're going to be looking at what it means to be complete. And so if you can, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And I've got the whiteboard here. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to begin at verse 38. And if you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand and they will get you one. And and as we begin, this is part of of Jesus' talk on the Mount, known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of funny. I was telling someone that, you know, I don't like the word sermon. They said, well, Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount as if that's what it was actually called and not the title there. Um, I thought that was funny. Anyway, this is Jesus' talk there on the Mount. And As Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, he is speaking not only specifically to the people there, but he is speaking, in a sense, to Israel. He's speaking to the nation, and and he's addressing them as what the nation is supposed to be. Israel isn't chosen by God so that they could be exclusive and leave the rest of the world in the dark But they are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And so as he's speaking to them, he's giving them an understanding of what God has intended them to be and that God was through the faithful Israelite, Jesus, and that what God wants to be now through us. But Israel didn't just have enemies that were outside. Pagan nations that were oppressing them, putting strict rules and taxes on them, the Roman government. They had problems within as well. 
just like every nation does. There was a lot of injustice. There was a lot of problems with how things were being run. And so you had a few people who were very wealthy. And then you had a lot of people that were poor. Sound familiar, right? It sounds like a lot of nations go through this kind of thing. And then you have some that are very, very poor. And so as Jesus is speaking, he is dealing not only with the oppression that is out there, but also with the problems that are taking place in their own society. And as he speaks, this is dealing with a societal kind of issue. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And so he starts off, and these words are rather striking and rather uneasy. In fact, they are so striking, we're going to pause and we're going to pray before we go any further. God, we ask that you would give us help in understanding what you are saying to us this morning through these, your words. And I pray that we would grasp hold of these things and allow them to shape our lives. And we do ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as he starts off and he tells them, you have heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. What Jesus is now trying to do is bring this understanding of, you know, the law was given, these boundaries were given so that vengeance wouldn't be excessive. In other words, an eye for an eye wasn't, yeah, I'm going to get you back. It's like, no, he took your eye. You don't get to take his head. It was actually to, to restrict that kind of vengeance. But Jesus goes one further and he says, I don't want you to just think of this as vengeance and getting even, but I want you to, to push into this, this kind of new justice that is gracious even as God is gracious to you. And the point here is to give them a concept of how is God and how then are we supposed to be? And the world, and even today, there is this attitude and there was this kind of way of demeaning people. And so when he starts off and he says, you know, I tell you, don't resist. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. That wasn't just violence. That was an insult. It was kind of a back of the hand. It was something that would take place perhaps to a person who was a slave, perhaps to a child or even to women at that time. And it still happens in some areas today. What it was is demeaning. And so what he's telling them is don't let them determine who you are. They smack you and they're trying to put you down and saying you're just a slave, you're just whatever it is, demean you. Offer them the other cheek also. And then what you're actually doing is saying, I am going to address this 
not as an inferior, but as an equal. You can demean me, but I will step into this by my own initiative. In other words, you're not the one who's having the control over me. I'm actually the one who is making the initiative. And even though the initiative is that I might be hit again, I'm the one making the choice, not you. I'm raising myself up to a level where you have to address me as a person and react on what I do and me not just reacting on what you do. And so it's really taking charge of your life, but instead of trying to plot vengeance, it's saying, I am a person who will not strike you back, but I will step into this. This is who I am. And that's offsetting. It's meant to be offsetting. And he says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And so this is supposing that you have a debt and you can't pay it because you're one of the very poor and this person is one of the very wealthy. And you're being taken advantage of, you're being demeaned because of your poverty. Well, in that time, you would usually only have two cloaks. You would have a shirt and then you would have an outer coat. And if they say, okay, well, I want to get from you what you owe me. Give me your coat. And they take your coat. Then you're to give them your shirt and be there shirtless. And let them be ashamed that they are taking away from your poverty. Let them see that I have nothing else. You are taking from me, my very substance. I will now be without a shirt, bare, because you are taking this from me and I will give you this to show you my condition and also to show you my heart. That I'm not going to be out to get you, but I'm actually going to give to you more and expose you for what you're doing. And now everyone sees the shame of this person demanding from this person who has nothing. And again, this is the context that the people are living in. This is the society that they are in. He goes on and he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And now this deals with the Roman soldiers who were able to require you to take their burden, their pack, the things, their supplies, and they could point to whoever they want. Hey, you carry my burden, carry my load for a mile. And they were able to do that. The law allowed them to do that, but the law was quite strict and it forbade them from making someone do more than that. And so he says, if someone says, take my pack and go with one mile. You take it and you go a mile and then you say, come on, let's go another mile. And now they're like, well, well no, no, I can, I, I can get in trouble for that. No, no, don't do that. And he says, well, I'm, I'm willing to, come on, let's go. Let's go another mile. I'll take this burden with you an additional mile. And you see each of these things that you do, even though you are in a position that would be considered weakness, you are showing up as being the one who now takes control of the situation and it becomes something that you use almost as a strength 
that charges the other person to think and forces them to deal with what they are doing by your actions that are gracious, that are merciful. And now you're the one who is shaping this conversation, shaping this interaction, and you're doing it in a way that is meek. You're doing it in a way that is humble. And don't we have a hard time with those kinds of things? Don't we? Anyone? Or do it's just me? Uh, I'll leave now. If you guys are all good, I'll just go. Okay. We 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 have a struggle with these things. I want to prove that I'm right. I do it all the time. If I'm having a, a argument with my wife or a discussion, whatever we want to call it. I want to be right. And I want to get my point across. And I want to make sure that they understand. And I don't come across many times as a person who is going to be generous. I come across as a person who wants to have their way. I want to be the one who gets acknowledged. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to show us the character of God is now supposed to be our character as well. He goes on in verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, as he says, love your enemies or He says, don't, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. Again, he's talking in a societal terms. This doesn't mean love Nazis or something like that, okay? He's trying to deal with the social environment that they are in. And so you have an oppressive government over you, but he's telling you that you're to love them. It doesn't mean accept everything that they do, but something is supposed to be happening in you towards them. He says to pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, the actions that you show are to show who you belong to. Earlier in the chapter, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. This is the characteristic of those who belong to God. And, and once again, we see that this is exactly what they're doing here is they're making peace. They're being people who are generating this kind of peace. And what he's doing is he's challenging us to live in a different way, to be a different kind of humanity. You know what people are like here. They love those 
who love them. They are near to those who are near to them. The pagans, those who are without God, that's how they live. You're supposed to live with an awareness of God that shapes who you are, that shapes the things that you do. And so Israel is supposed to be watching God and acting like him. And what does God do? Well, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I remember when I I first read this, I thought rain was a bad thing. But rain's a good thing. We need rain. Oh, he causes the rain. Oh, that terrible rain. Yeah, Californians, it rained today. That's terrible, you know. Oh, my gosh. But it's a good thing. God is generous. God supplies them. That's what your heavenly father does. You're to imitate him. Because if you just love those who love you, what are you doing more? And then he comes to this closing statement. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. How does that make you feel? Be perfect. Now, it's important that we understand this word perfect because it doesn't mean faultless. What it means is fully accomplished, fully developed, mature. It means complete. That's the title of our series. And so it doesn't mean be without fault because that's our idea of perfect. It's a, it means be fully mature. Be fully developed. Be complete. And so we need to understand that this idea of perfect, imagine we have this line here and this line we call perfect. Now, you might think in your mind, perfect is six foot one. Yeah, that'd be a perfect height. Not for me. For me, perfect is five foot six and a quarter. And a quarter. That's my full height. That's as mature as I got. I'm waiting for that other growth spurt, but I don't think it's going to happen now. This is what my height is going to be. That's as developed as I'm going to get in stature. Actually, I'm probably shrinking now a little bit. In some ways. (laughs) But that's the idea of perfect. It's like, this is what your potential is. This is where you are to be. You are to be mature. You are to be fully developed. And what's the standard? Well, the standard is in the image that you were created in, which is God's image. He's the one who created us. He's the one who has given us his image to bear, and that's what we are supposed to be, okay? And so we need to find out that to live this life that is satisfied, what we need isn't more things. What we need to do is be mature. We need to be who we can be fully. And so this sermon isn't just about how to behave. It's discovering how the living God is moving and living and moving among us and how Jesus exemplified these things. You see, Israel was to be watching God, imitating him. And in the beginning, 
God kept creating until he made something that he could see his own reflection in. And that was man. That was you and me. We bear his image. And that's an amazing thought. That you are able to reflect God more clearly than the most magnificent sunset that you have ever seen. One act of generosity, one act of justice, showing forgiveness, gives more insight into who God is than the most spectacular wonders of nature. You are the light of the world. And he wants you to fill that role mature in it to the full stature. When the kids were younger, we used to go to Magic Mountain because I love roller coasters. And not all my kids liked roller coasters, but I was determined to go. So I had to make them like it too because I like roller coasters. I want you to like it. Hey, come on, son, let's go on. No, it's okay. Oh, it'll be fun. And so I like coax them to get on the roller coasters and traumatize them. Now the twins, we took on, uh, what is it? The Matterhorn when they were like two years old. I think we, yeah, we, (laughs) someone said, oh my, (laughs) don't judge. Um, I think we gave them a shot of adrenaline in that ride that never ended, okay? They were just like, what? I didn't know life could be like this. And they just kept going like that the whole lives. And and so we would go to Magic Mountain, and I I just loved it. We'd go usually in October, and we'd kind of take a day off and go there when there wasn't so many people and go on the rides. But, you know, it's miserable when one of your kids isn't tall enough. You know what I'm saying? It's like the daughter, the youngest one, she wasn't quite tall enough, and that's miserable. We went there one year, and all the brothers are, yeah, we're going on the ride, nah, 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 you know, because that's how they are. You can't ride, we go, you know, and so one of us has to stay with her. And so Corrine was staying with her most of the time, because I'm there for the rides. I've been, I've been pruning them for this, okay? And so... She would have to stay there, but then she'd be ah, crying the whole time. I want to ride the roller coaster. So one year, we got her some platform shoes. <laughs> About three inches tall. She goes walking up to the line, you know, yeah, I'm right there. She goes on, and we're thinking we're, we're smart. And then she sits on the ride, and we don't realize that, you know, you're actually supposed to be a certain height. And they see her in the line that her head's supposed to reach isn't. They go, what's she doing on there? She's not supposed to. And then the ride takes off. And I'm thinking, oh, dear. (laughs) Did I fail as a parent? She was fine. We lived. And I confessed my sin to you. Um, But the idea is eventually she was grown enough to be able to ride without the platform shoes. She was mature. She developed and was able to step into that place. A lot of us are living below the line. We know what God wants of us, and we're living below that. And so what takes place here is, you know, we have a below the line, and below the line we have a lot of things. We have just, say, slander. That would be below the line. We have adultery. That would be 
below the line. We have homosexuality. That'd be below the line. We have gossip. That would be below the line. What are some other things that we might have that would be below the line? You guys can't think of? Huh? Jealousy? What else? You had a hand? Addiction? Okay. Jealous? Addiction to the wrong things? What's that? Hatred. Hatred. So all these things are living below the line. In fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul here gives a little list of below the line things. In verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Wrongdoers. So that's below the line here. Okay, that's what he's kind of generalizing, wrongdoers. And he gives this little description. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And so he's saying these things don't represent the maturity that you're supposed to be living in. They're below the line. Now, it's funny how we segregate these things. You know, we will specifically make some more, I don't know, you know, just have kind of a stigma about them than others. You know, no one goes around trying to pass laws against slander. You know, we're going to proposition 194. We're going to stop slander. You know, we, we, we don't do those kinds of things. Um, or greed. We're going to stop greed. Let's get a bill and let's stop greedy people. Why? Because it, it's not as easily seen. And a lot of times what happens is when we're living below the lines. Oh, well, that just seems funny. Sorry. When. You're living below the line. What we want to do is pretend we're okay. And so if you're greedy, you don't go around acting greedy. You try and act like you're not greedy. If you're slanderous, you try and cover it so it doesn't come across as slander. So a lot of times people are are trying to look like they're mature, like they're living this way when really they're not. And this divide here is the area that God is wanting us to to grow and to mature and to develop ourselves. And it has to do a lot with the heart. It has to do a lot with the attitudes that we have towards other people. And how we treat people and how we conduct ourselves. Are we conducting ourselves where we are in control or are we in control of something else? Are we in control of our anger or is our anger controlling us? Are we in control of our lust or is our lust controlling us? Are we in control of our addiction or is our addiction controlling us? Because what we need to do is grow up and be mature in these areas. And so when he talks about being perfect, he's not talking about be without any fault, he's saying, be who God has created you to be. Be perfect 
which happens to be five foot six and a quarter. Be who God has created you to be genuinely, holy. And these other things that are keeping you from being the image that God represents, we need to put those things away. Because what we want is a satisfied life. What we want is a life that is whole. And we find that living below this maturity line are the things that start to tear us down. They, they are in the way. Does it mean you will not go to heaven if you have an addiction? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you will not go to heaven if you gossip? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you're living below the line? Yes, it does mean that. Now, if you are a person who's controlled by these things and those things are a part of your character, well, I don't know. I'm not the one who makes those decisions. But the idea is these things are less than perfect. They're less than what you are supposed to be. And notice when when Jesus says you are to be perfect, even as your father in heaven is perfect. Notice the context that he's speaking in. Where he's talking about not just greeting those who greet you, but loving your neighbor and loving your enemy and caring for those who are outside, even those who are part of the Roman government, even those who are outcasts, caring and loving those. Why should I do that? Because that's who God is and that's what God does. And so we are to do the same things. And so we need to see the things that are less than. We need to take off the platform shoes that are trying to make us look tall enough, make us look mature enough and really own who we are. What happens to us in this world of of Christianity is we so want to have an appearance of being perfect. We, We want to have the appearance of being mature. I want people to think I'm spiritual. I want people to think I'm a good person that I don't have any junk and, and things below the line in my life. And so we pretend, we put on platforms and we say, I really am five foot six, or I'm six foot one. Those would be high platforms, okay? I, I really am this tall. I really want you to think I'm like this. And what happens is we are living a divided life. We're not being genuine. We're being hypocrites. We're playing a part that's not who we are. And you cannot be perfect pretending to be someone you're not. And so instead of trying to cover up the issues that you have, accept who you are and see where you need to be. God is calling you to be more. And what God is calling you to be isn't more than you can be. It's who he has created you to be. Because these other things keep you from being whole. I know some people have talked to me and say, you know, you don't really talk about sin a lot. You know, I am now. Sin is anything that is below five foot Six and a quarter. 
Sin is anything that is not the image God has created me to be in. Because remember, sin had to do with shooting an arrow and missing the mark, missing the target. It's not certain things. Oh, I want to list all the sins. Okay, stop doing all these things. No, it's not stop doing these things. It's start being this. Start being the image of God. Because I got to tell you, I, I still struggle with coveting. I still struggle with slander. There's sometimes I just really want to slander people. And God is working on my heart. And so I can pick out certain ones that, you know, I don't do this. I don't do that. But there are other things that I do that are below perfect, that are not mature, that don't represent who I'm supposed to be, that aren't the image that God wants me to show and reflect to the world around me. There are still things, and what I need to do is accept those things and grow in those areas so that I can be perfect. And again, perfect isn't faultless, it's mature. It's who you're supposed to be. Because you are going to struggle, and you are going to have faults, and you're going to have areas that are more difficult than others. But don't settle. Don't make yourself an excuse to be less than. Understand that God wants more for you. And if God is wanting more for you, it's exactly that. It's more. God's not going to take something from your life that would make you more. None of the things that are below the line make you more. In some way, they are making you less. And so we need to see the things that God has given to us as the goal. And here he lists just a few. And it has to do with how we treat one another. It has to do with whether we're going to seek vengeance or whether we're going to show grace and mercy, whether we're going to be kind to those who are outside of our little circle or whether we're just going to have our little clique of friends and this is our little club. And if you want to join, you get to if you meet our rules. No, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun is there for the good and the evil. God has shown mercy and we are to show that mercy too. And then it starts changing the dynamic of how we see things. And we don't see sin as a certain thing. We see sin as a failure to be, not in just something you do. Because we so want to point out the things. And we so want to stigmatize people based on certain sins. And what Jesus is wanting us to do is to be perfect. Be complete. Be mature. Be whole. And the whole intent of this series, and it's only going to be a few weeks, but the whole purpose is how can we be whole? 
I talk to people on, on quite a few occasions who struggle in their lives with various things. It's part of me being the role of a pastor. And I don't mind talking to people who struggle because we all struggle. And, and a person who struggles and wants to be made whole is a person that God wants to help and God wants to reach out. But what's hard is when I, I talk to people and they're pretending they're five foot six and a quarter. And they're not. They're, they're pretending to be whole and they're not. And there's self-righteousness there and there's arrogance there and there's pride there and there's a lot of things going on in their lives that are blinding them from being whole. And you can't make them see. I can't make you be whole. You have to want to be. And if you want to be, Jesus will give you the tools and the ability by his spirit to be. Well, you don't understand the struggle it is for me. I do. I do. And I'm not going to judge you. And I'm not going to condemn you. And I'm not going to pressure you. And I'm not going to push at you unless I see you being lazy, unless I see you being in a place of, well, I don't care, I, I'm complacent. Well, then I'll, I'll give you a nudge, but I'm not here to condemn you. I, I'm here to be the sunshine, be the light. I'm here to be the salt. I'm, I'm here to be the rain that refreshes and helps because I know what it's like not to be perfect. I know what it's like not to be whole. I'm in the same boat as you. And I have my struggles and you have your struggles. But I'm determined to be perfect, even as God is perfect. And I don't want to settle for less because it's easier. I don't want to settle for less because it's accepted. I don't want to settle for less if it's not who I really am. And if I don't see it, God will reveal it. It's not my job to point out sin. It's my job to try and lift you to be whole and trust that God will do that work. You know, it, it, it's an amazing thing what God is able to do without us. I, I've shared a number of times. I, I had a friend, and man, I was just, we had an intervention for him. And we sat down, and he was seriously addicted to a number of things, killing himself. Sat down with his family and said, dude, you need to get into rehab or you're going to die. I said, no, don't want to. We tried, we tried. And then away from us, away from his family, on his own, I get the phone call. I checked myself into rehab. 
I've been clean two months now. I'm doing this. And I'm, it's like, it's like almost better when I'm not involved, you know? So I'm almost like, okay, I'll just stay out of the picture and God can do more. But you see, that's the point. God was already working. And I got to tell you, I felt like that's it. He's done. It's over for him. He will never be complete. He will never be perfect. He'll probably die from his addiction. I I was done. God wasn't. God still reigned. God still caused the sun to shine. God's grace was still there. And now we're able to see the results. And you see, it's our job to be that to the people around us, to be the rain, to be the sun, to love as God loves, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth. As we see in Jesus, so we imitate. And he challenges us and we challenge each other. Be perfect, just as God is perfect. Be made whole. I love that when Jesus goes to the blind man. What would you have me to do? To us, it's like a stupid question. The guy's blind. But he had to say, I want to see. If we don't want to see, we can remain blind. If we don't want to be whole, we can remain fragmented. If we don't want to be perfect, we are the ones missing out. And so Jesus' words to us, be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, you ask more of us than we ask of ourselves. Not because you are demanding, but because you are loving. And your words challenge us to be more, not to be less. You challenge us to care more, not to care less. You challenge us to give more of ourselves, not to give less. And by giving of ourselves, we become more. Lord, I I pray you would help us in all these areas, whether it be in wanting to be vengeful, whether it be in areas of struggle. Help us, Father, to open our hearts and our lives up to you. Help us to see the truth in your words. And Lord, I I pray for those who are are struggling in some area, Lord, that are finding it difficult to be perfect because of something or many things. Lord, may you continue to rain on their lives. May the sun continue to shine. May grace continue to be poured out. May love continue to flow. 
Lord, your love is better than life. And God, you are able to do all things. May we make room for you to do all things. May we want more and not settle for less. Help us if there is areas of hypocrisy. Help us to identify them. And for those who have struggled in any of these areas, Lord, I pray you would be their strength and may they know that we are here to be an encouragement and strength and to love them, even as you do. We thank you again for your goodness, your faithfulness. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. As Alex is singing in this song, as we're just sitting sitting right now, if there is an area in your life where you know, I'm just not mature here, I'm not developed here, I, I have not become perfect in this area of my life. As we stand, may this be an acknowledgement to God. God, I want to stand before you. And like the blind man, when you asked him, what would you have me do? Lord, I am standing and saying, I want to be perfect, God, as you are perfect. And I need your touch for that to take place. And so may this last song be an opportunity for us to receive from God the strength and help and clarity that we need. God bless you guys.